Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, Joy Dooling here, host of the Joy of Membership podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. I am joined this week by Amanda Kaiser. Amanda is a member engagement specialist, and she predicts that associations will radically change how they help members connect, collaborate, and co-create in the virtual space. I have to agree, and I'll bet you do too. As a co-creator and host of the Virtual Networking Incubator, along with her partners at Matchbox Virtual Media and more than 150 enthusiastic membership organization participants, she had the amazing opportunity to explore what makes networking events tick, as well as uncover many ways to create meaningful engagement with dynamic member communities. I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's just hop right on in. Amanda, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Thank you so much, Joy. It's great to be here. Why don't we start with you sharing with the listeners who you are and who you help? Sure. So I am a member engagement specialist, and I work on behalf of member organizations trying to figure out why members engage in all different kinds of ways, why they join associations and member organizations, why they come to conferences and how they engage there and how they engage online. Awesome. Member engagement is near and dear to my heart, so you're right. singing my tune. <laughs> awesome. So I understand that earlier this year, you were involved in a um, virtual event networking incubator project. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. It was the virtual networking incubator, and it was a project that I co-founded with my partners over at Matchbox Virtual Media. And it was it was amazing. So I, I, I'm so glad to be able to talk about it with you here today. So it was a six-segment event, and it was one part laboratory, one part kind of where we experimented with things, where we went out to the community and we, we found things out. And then the last part was problem solving. We did all kinds of problem solving. And our goal was to figure out how to make virtual networking far more meaningful, fun, and comfortable online. And we did just that. So we're really excited that it proved out. How many organizations did you end up having participate? Yeah, we had over 150 association leaders join us for this. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we were super excited. So you got some very good utilization and feedback. 
Yes. Oh, and the group was, it, they were so dynamic and they were so open and generous and fun. Every time we had a, a gathering, we call them gatherings, that sessions. And every time we had a gathering, I, I left feeling just energized because the, the group was, was really, truly amazing. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So this is definitely a problem that organizations have needed to solve with the pandemic. A lot of them had, if not all of them, had to switch over to at least some of their events being completely virtual. Right. What do you believe the lessons are that you learned from Incubator that organizations are going to be able to carry forward with them? Yeah, absolutely. So let's sort of start at the very beginning. And one of the things that we were really attuned to when we started the virtual networking incubator and the participants were as well, our 150 association leaders, everybody was really in the mindset of virtual networking events don't work. It, this is something that doesn't work. It works in person, but you can't translate it online. And, and so I'd like to address that because I think that there's still that myth floating around out there. And that's because when COVID struck and we all went online with our conferences, a lot of those conferences, even though they're online, were formatted and look and feel like the in-person events. And so when it came time to network, a lot of those networking events either did one of two things, either they entertained. So you brought somebody in like a celebrity chef or a mixologist or a band and people passively listened to them. Or it ended up being kind of this open forum free-for-all. And neither of those things work online. You can't connect if you're watching the mixologist, which is totally fun and cool, but it's harder to connect. And then on the other end, if it's a free-for-all, it becomes just really awkward online and nobody knows when to go and what to talk about and all of that. So that's sort of where we were starting from was virtual networking events don't really work. And from there, we only had up to go. If you want to dive deep, I wrote a virtual networking incubator roundup report, and, and again, with my partners. And, and so there's all kinds of lessons learned. But I think that the overall lesson learned is it's definitely doable. You just have to pay attention to your platform and also pay attention to the facilitation of your networking event. I heard a great analogy uh, recently, just in the last few days, where they were talking about how when movies, cinematography first got started, a lot of the movies that were made looked just like stage performances because that's what people knew. And so people are like, well, these movies think these don't work. It doesn't work to do it in this format. And it sounds like that's the same thing that we've been experiencing around virtual networking events is if you do them exactly like the in-person events, of course, they're going to feel awkward, they're not going right. to feel natural. But obviously, movies have evolved lots over time. Right. <laughs> and so will the virtual networking. Yeah, I think I think you see this in everything, right? I, I remember the move from snail mail to email. So it, it, it this this is not new. It, it happens where we move to virtual and we do what we did before, and and that's great. It's great first steps. I think we're getting smarter about this. It's interesting. The reverse is also true. So now that some organizations are starting to experiment with uh, hybrid or going back face to face. There's a lot we learned about virtual networking that we can now take back into the in-person arena, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think the virtual space is sort of harder to solve for. So if you can figure that out, then that can make your face-to-face -face even better. 
Are you able to share what some of the problems were that this incubator brought forward that folks were saying these are challenges that we need to solve in the virtual networking? Because I think you said like the third part was really like the troubleshooting problem solving part. What sorts of things were they focused on? Yeah, absolutely. We really stepped into what members feel like when they come to a networking event, virtual or in person. What does that feel like, especially if you don't have your network, which is most members, right? There's that sort of very kind of wonderfully privileged longtime member that really knows a lot of people in the association and they come to reception and it's super lovely for them. But we can forget about some of those new members, mid-career folks who maybe don't have their network already built out and they're coming to a networking event for the first time. And when we as a group stepped into how that feels, how does it feel to walk into a reception for the first time where you know nobody and everybody's there already talking to somebody? Or how does it feel when you go to a party for the first time? And we explore this a number of different ways. But what happened as people were writing and reading the words awkward and cringe and self-worth and embarrassing and all of those things, People started noting in the chat that they're having this really visceral reaction that like kind of like, oh, you know, oh, gosh, I remember that 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 did not feel good. So I think that was the kind of the thing that we're underlying with everything. Let's try to figure out how to make any kind of networking comfortable and fun and have people participate immediately so that they forget that like, oh, I'm I am an outsider. I don't know anybody. I maybe I don't belong here. And, and so that they can ju- just dive right in and start participating and, and being generous and all of that. So, so there was that part. But then, um, you know, when you start talking about what were we st- solving for in terms of nuts and bolts, we wanted to look at many of the different reasons why you network. Do you network because you're trying to solve a problem for yourself? Do you network because you're trying to solve a problem for your company? Do you network because you're trying to solve a problem in your industry or profession? Uh, do you network to make friends? Are you trying to change jobs? And so we started taking all of these different reasons for networking and thinking about the platform and the template and the kind of activities that you would do when you were trying to solve for those problems. And, and even one of the kind of underrated things that people don't think about so much when networking is we tend to think about those very specific outcomes like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a new job. But there's also the emotional side of networking The the I, I just want to be supported or I just I think maybe another way to put this is I just want to normalize because there's so many people who are the only ones who do what they do at their organization And when they finally get into a community of their peers, a lot of what they're doing is normalizing their situations. Oh, suddenly I've met people who have had my experiences, who think the same way that I do, who understand where I'm coming from. And that normalizing is super, super important. Yeah. So you did mention technology and templates. To what extent do you think that technology plays a role in how effective the online networking is going to be? Do people need to be using a specific tool or are there lessons that emerged that you can apply to any tool that you're using? Yeah. So I think that technology 
is wonderful. If you have the budget, if you have enough members or enough attendees to support it, there are some really cool platforms out there that warrant a look. So just to give you some quick examples, there's a platform out there called Pickles. It's P-I-C-C-L-E-N-S. And they're really great for creatively getting really large groups. So if you're having a networking session where you've got, say, 200 or 500 people in the room, it's a really great way of getting people to start feeling that they are part of the community, to start seeing that there's other people like them. Another really interesting platform is Circles, and that is CIRC.LES. And Circles is a really interesting platform, I think, because it takes big groups breaks them out into little breakout groups in, in a very interesting way where you can, it, essentially, you can facilitate without a facilitator. So again, if you've got a really big conference and you want to have this, start having these very small, meaningful, guided conversations, Circles is the way to go. Having said that, if you can afford it, it's great. But if you are, if you're kind of doing your, your virtual conference on a dime, you might be saying, well, Zoom is Zoom is what we've got. And I think there's a lot you can do with Zoom. And whether you're going to take that next step and get the technology or whether you're going to use something like we all use like Zoom, then the next step is to think a lot about your facility. How do you guide people through this journey where you're helping them to connect? And how are you going to do that? So yes, I think technology is important, but there's a lot of facilitation you can do that gets around some of those things that the technology might not be good at. Amanda, this sounds terrific. I think there's going to be a lot to gain from listeners accessing this report. Where can they find it? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go onto my site under resources, you'll find the virtual networking roundup. You can find that there. There's also links to another book that the the whole team co-produced. So it was uh, our 150 participants did this cookbook. So it's recipes for how to do virtual networking through all of those modes that I was talking about. Uh, Mary, find the link also in the the roundup that'll go back to the recipe book. And uh, so the tons and tons of resources. Uh, Matchbox also has an incubator series set up, uh, incubator series of pages set up on their website. So you can find all the reports there, plus uh, sign up for our next incubator, which I'm super excited about. We're going to start talking about sponsor value. Ooh, that is a good one. Excellent. I think there'll be huge interest around that. Yeah, we're excited to tackle this. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for being here today, sharing about the project. And I will be sure that I put those links to um, where to find it in the show notes for folks. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Joy. Of course. Joy here, back with a few thoughts to wrap up this week's episode. If you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you're probably aware that I actually do a live journey care training every Thursday. It's typically tied to the same topic as the podcast. But since we very recently did one of those focused on how to use journey care to support networking and events, I'm going to focus this week's live training on care points involving sponsors instead. As always, you'll be able to watch over my shoulder as I show you ways that you can leverage the Journey Care platform to build care points involving sponsors, recruiting sponsors, tracking progress with sponsors, nurturing sponsors, renewing sponsors, etc. It's all possible through the magical automations of the Journey Care tools. You can register for the live training 
and see all of the upcoming topics at journeycare.app slash training. That's journeycare.app, A-P-P, not .com. On that page, you'll see a link to watch past sessions too. We've covered all sorts of topics since I began doing these. Everything from creating lead magnets and nurture campaigns for prospective members, to making recruitment drives easier, to working with boards and committees, and more. So if you haven't taken a peek at what Journey Care can do in these situations, I invite you to do so. I think you'll be amazed as there's simply nothing like it on the market today. That's because Journey Care is member care software, not just membership software. And there's a big, big difference. That brings us to a wrap. Have a terrific rest of your week, and I will see you back here next Tuesday with another great episode. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech, joyofmembership.com slash tech, T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.